together big picture stuff Jesus is ministering uh, through um, the area of the region of the Sea of Galilee um, he we've already seen the Sermon on the Mount his first great sermon leading from there he travels across the Capernaum you know uh, a lot of attention a lot of people watching Jesus and really interesting he's doing all these amazing miracles um, but yet he's got these close, close ones. You know, the multitude, they don't stick around too much. But the close ones, the, the 12 disciples, are sticking about. And they're, um, you know, they're close to him. And so he's, but he's instructing them. You need to go out and you need to share the gospel, the good news. And, and his focus initially was just locally, you know, uh, to, throughout the, the tribes of Israel. You know, the local towns and areas, you know, to get people to, to hear the gospel. To hear the good news that their Messiah is here. He is here. The time has come. And, uh, of course, we've seen John the Baptist. His role was to point get people's hearts and minds ready for Jesus. So the work is happening. Jesus is ministering. He's preaching. John is ministering, baptizing, preaching. And the disciples are ministering and preaching. A big part of it is preaching. You know, to evangelize the, the words, to tell people something. That's a big part of what we do as Christians, as disciples. We need to preach. We need to tell people the good news. Uh, and so Jesus gave his disciples instructions. Um, and then he himself, you know, afterwards, you know, he continues to do his work of preaching. And John's disciples came to him and said, hey, you know, John wants to know, are you, are you really the Messiah? <laughs> you know, uh, and so we looked a lot at that, you know. Uh, there was John. He was in the prison, you know, waiting, you know, execution. You know, he could see it coming. His time was short. Um, and he's probably suffering from doubt. Satan does that to us. Even the most well-intentioned, you know, Christian, you know, deals with doubt. That's just a kind of a part of life, you know. And especially when you're alone and isolated and you know, things are a bit quiet, you know, and you're not being encouraged, you know. And you can get, you know, Satan can sneak in there and, you know, get the best of you. And so we need to be careful. And so John, you know, I mean, Jesus said nothing bad about John. Jesus, you know, he said, yeah, John's the right-on kind of guy. He did everything that God wanted him to do. He's all right. But yet still he suffered from doubt. John knew Jesus. He saw Jesus. He was the proclaimer of Jesus. He saw Jesus when he came down and baptized him and saw the Holy Spirit come upon him. He saw these things. And so we can experience a lot of amazing miracles in our own lives, but yet sometimes have this doubt thing, you know, especially when things get tough. And that's what happened with John. We talked about that last week. Um, but Jesus ended this kind of this, this dissertation, because he started to talk about John being a type of Elijah, you know. And he, first of all, he told John, the, the, you know, John's disciples, go back and tell John what, what we're seeing here. Look. And we, we, we glean from that. When we look and see what God has done, both historically and in our own lives, we can be filled with encouragement. And when those doubts come, we can subsided by a refreshing of, of looking at his word and seeing what he has done and what he is doing and what he's going to do. So that's what Jesus said. Well, look, what's going on, John? You know the, the prophecies. You know they're being fulfilled. Um, so remember those things. Uh, and then, of course, he told the people that, you know, John was a type of Elijah, you know, who, whose job is to point to get people ready for the Messiah. 
Um, and so the Messiah is here. And that's what he's saying. He's saying this to the disciples. He's saying this to the crowd, the multitude, you know. Come on, guys. The Messiah is here. You know, the majority of these people here will be, you know, in the region. Is that, you know, good Jewish boys and girls? You should know the gospel. You should know the Messiah. You should know these Messianic prophecies and Isaiah and Proverbs and our, our Psalms and, you know, so on and so forth. They should be knowing and ready and preparing themselves for the coming of the Messiah. So get ready, get ready. You know, that's Elijah pointing. The Messiah is here. He's instructing. He's establishing God's kingdom on earth. There shouldn't be no surprises. Uh, but the problem is, a lot of people just, they didn't get it. They just didn't get it. Uh, and so, you know, we're worried about our society. We're worried about our nation. I'm worried about this, this nation. I'm worried about the Western world. I'm worried about America. I'm worried about, you know, just, just, just the countless millions and billions of people who have the gospel at their immediate, you know, accessibility through Bibles and, you know, internet, you know, digital media. I mean, the gospel is made known radically, you know, through today. But yet there's still so many people who just absolutely refuse it. And that's kind of what we're going to look at a little bit today. A total refusal, some refusal. It's not that the gospel isn't accessible. It's not that the gospel is understandable. It's not that the gospel is avail not available. The gospel is available. It is accessible. It is understandable. But stubbornness, stubbornness, pride. These people should have known. They've had they have everything going for them. They grew up learning the scriptures. They're, at least they're supposed to. <laughs> they're growing up, you know, learning and very disciplined, you know, with, with the religion, the Hebrews, you know, very, very disciplined. But yet they don't get it. Even the religious leaders who should have got it didn't get it. So pay attention. It's a matter of life and death. That's what Jesus says. He ends this mini dissertation of John the Baptist, you know, by saying, whoever has ears, let him hear. Set up. Pay attention. So let's move on from there. Next slide. And he goes on to say, well, woe to the ungrateful. And he uses a comparison of spoiled children. <laughs> spoiled little children, little brats, as you want to say, whatever. That's why the little be crying here, you know. Uh, and he's, it's a comparison. He's like, listen, this generation, these people you, who... who I'm here to establish this kingdom. I'm here to minister to. I'm here. They're just ungrateful little brats, basically. And this is what he says. This is the comparison. What can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. Basically what they're saying here is they're stubbornly refusing to play these wedding or funeral songs they were asked to play. They're refusing I don't want to. I, who do you think you are? Being spoiled brats. And that's what he's comparing the generation to. And he's like, you adults, you grown-ups are acting like a bunch of babies. And it's sad. They have these excuses. You know, oh, well, we played before. You didn't really dance. You don't really like it. You know, we sang before, but you really didn't mourn. You know, they have these excuses, but they're not legitimate reasons to obey. You know, they're not legitimate reasons. They're just excuses. Bottom line is, he's paying a picture of rebellion. And if you're a parent, you know what this looks like. <laughs> and it's kind of frustrating when you ask your son or daughter, can you please just do this thing for me? Like, one of the things for us is getting dressed in the morning. When you get up, just get dressed and eat your breakfast. Simple. 
Simple as that. But why is it such a hassle to get dressed? Why is it such a hassle to just eat food? Ah, come on. So we know what it's like. You know, it can be a bit frustrating to have to deal with children. And Jesus is looking at him and saying, you guys are grown-ups. You're adults. You're big people. I shouldn't even have to treat you like children. But unfortunately, that's exactly how they're acting. My, my brother Bud, he said this. I was having a conversation about something unrelated. Yes, Brother Bud. <laughs> he thought it was some kind of like, like some kind of desert monk, Brother Bud. But no, this is my brother Bud. He said this, and I think it's a profound. This is a direct quote from an email that I got from him. So sad. Kids don't appreciate the life that God has given them these days. Uh, they do or say harmful things at the slightest speed bump in life and don't think about the replications. Repercussions, rather. I always say that wrong. Up now he says. Fact is, there is always someone who has it ten times worse than you somewhere else. Again, a problem with just appreciating, you know, simple things. I mean, the reality is, for all of us, we have struggles. I mean, I mean there is a sense of, of struggle and financial woe and burden. But you know what? We're kind of blessed. We're, kind of, I mean, we're way blessed to be living in this nation at this time, right? I mean... We got a lot of toys. We got a lot of luxuries. We got warmth. We got comforts. Yeah, but yet still, sometimes we get a little bit like uh, a little more, a little more, a little more. Well, that's kind of the idea. I think Jesus is looking at these people. They're like, well, Jesus, what can you give us? We like when you fed us the loaves of bread. We like the miracles. We like the flashy light shows and all the fun stuff. Come on, Jesus, give us some more. Don't you know we are lustful in our bellies? We want more. We're hungry. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to be here forever. How are you going to do this without me? It's, it's a purity, it's a simplicity in just loving and following after Jesus. Next one, yep. So, continuing on, Matthew 11, 18 through 19. Um, this is what they say, these, this wicked generation, you know, these spoiled breaths. They're, they're also come across as hypocritical. And this is where the hypocrisy comes in. John, what's their opinion? And everybody's got opinions, right? Oh, this is what I think about this, what I think about that. Well, when John came about, he, wasn't, he didn't eat or drink. Okay? He came neither eating nor drinking. This is the issue. And it just so doesn't even matter. But the funny thing, people, have, they will or won't do certain things by, because of things that are just so small and so stupid. Well, here's John. He came about, and his disciples, and they, weren't, they, they, they fasted. They didn't eat or drink. But they said, oh, he must have a demon. Oh, what's this John guy like? He's not eating. He's not drinking. Why shouldn't we believe him? Why should we follow him? Excuses. Blame excuses. Because, oh, he's, he's, he, he must be fueled by a demon source. That's why he doesn't do Ah! No, false. And then Jesus, the Son of Man, he came, he, you know, he, he came, and he was eating and drinking. So they should be happy now. Look, he's eating and drinking. Your little still problem is solved. But now they still have a problem, and the problem is the exact opposite. Oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Just can't make certain people happy. First one, they didn't eat, didn't drink, demon. Then Jesus came, he's eating, and he's drinking, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of its tax collectors and sinner. What we see here is genuine hypocrisy. They're just, they're stubborn. No, I just don't like it. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want what's happening here. Done. And they'll have all their excuses, but their excuses are just purely hypocritical. And that's the problem with this generation Jesus is looking at. And I hate to say it's probably the problem with this generation we have today as well. These men of God, John and Jesus, they came in the will and wisdom of God. 
They came according to prophecy. And, and, and their very lives and their word of their lives fulfilled prophecy. They were faithful. They followed God. They knew what God wanted them to do. They followed Him faithfully. And they were actually fruitful. They produced fruit. You know, the, the, the kingdom is built because of the work of these men and, and the other disciples who followed after Jesus and women. But the problem is these hypocritical complaints are just meaningless. Because they're not genuine concerns. Obviously, because there's, just, there's no satisfying these, these viewpoints, these, these, these issues, these complaints. And that's the thing. Hypocritical complaints are just that. They're just meaningless. If you're just going to have an excuse or a reason not to like something, then just whatever. You know, if you don't want to follow Jesus, whatever. You know, but there's no legitimate reasons that, that, that Jesus is offering us here. As compared to genuine concerns. And the thing is, well, there, there, is, there is places. There is, there is a place. The Bible even says, if there's someone within the church, there's, there's plenty of scriptures on, on church discipline. If there's a concern, if there's a problem, there's a way you can deal with it. Wisdom can tell you how to deal with it. The scriptures with wisdom can tell you how we can deal with certain issues, genuine concerns as they arise, even the leadership. So I'm, I'm sure some, some leaders, you know, cult leaders, if you will, might take scriptures like this and say, ha, you can't hold anything against me ever because I'm, I'm God's anointed and you, you know, can't accuse me. But the reality is, the Bible does say that when an elder, if there's an accusation to be brought to him, you know, you have to be very careful. Very careful because this is a man of God and you don't want to be out of order and do the wrong thing. But there is a, a procedure. There is something you can do. And the thing is, a godly man or a godly woman who's in the wrong wants to be corrected. Because, listen, we serve God. And we want to be right before God. And so what worth is it if we're totally off, we're totally not following God, we're totally offending everybody, and we get it all wrong? We want to do it right. We want to do it before God. We want to do it right before We want to grow. So the reality is a genuine minister, a genuine church leader, is open to honest concerns. As long as they're just that. But if they're just nippy, hypocritical complaints, Jesus had to say, nah. Don't have to say, nah. And, and it takes wisdom. That's why Jesus says here at the end, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. What is right? What is wise? What is proper? What is appropriate? Will bear fruit that is consistent with its behavior. If it's foolishness, the fruit will be foolishness. If it's wisdom, the fruit will be wisdom. And like I said before, generally we're going to always find people who got something to say. Um, but whether they, they're, they're, it's, it's wise or not will be proved by, their, by the fruit. Uh, and I like this Proverbs, ton of Proverbs about the danger of the words of the foolish man um, and foolish woman, foolish person. It's Proverbs 18.6. There's a bunch of them, but this is a good one. Proverbs 18.6 says, The lips of a fool, or lips of fools, bring them strife. And their mouths invite a beating. So here's some fruit right there. Generally, people who have problems, you know, are generally people who find themselves in trouble a lot. They find themselves always in hostile situations, always falling in and out of relationships. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus is like, you know, you want to come to me? Come to me for healing. Come to me for wisdom. Come for me for righteousness sake. But no, 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 no. Look, look at John. You know, he's got a demon. No, no, no. Look at Jesus. You know, he's, he's, he's a glutton and a drunkard. So woe, that was woe to the, uh, the ungrateful. But Jesus goes to go on to say woe to the unrepentant. Jesus and John, their ministry, very clearly was that of repentance. It's time for change. The way you're going is, is not, not right. It's not adequate. 
It does not suffice. You need change. And so their ministry was that of a repentance. It's time for change. And Jesus gives us opportunity to repent. He gives us a correct, right relationship with God. So when we repent, it's meaningful. When we change, it's meaningful. Now we can follow God with the right relationship and, and continue to follow Him. But there are, again, like there's many ungrateful, stubborn, whatever, you know, who are, nah, let's have their excuses. Nah. And that's unfortunate. There are also going to be others who just don't want to change. Maybe these are the same people. Just, they won't repent. They don't want to change. They like life as it is. And, and, and Jesus is just not enough for them. And Jesus says, for those people, ah, don't want to be them. Don't want to be them. Again, just remember um, what Jesus' instructions to disciples were just weeks ago, Matthew 10, 14, 15. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake off the dust or shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, they'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment and for that town. Not a good thing. We're going to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah in just a moment and, and the kind of judgment that it suffered. And I'm sure most of you guys have an idea about what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Not a good deal. You want to welcome a town that, that refuses, that's closed off to the gospel, that's closed off to Jesus. That's a dangerous place. Hearts that are closed off to Jesus are dangerous hearts. We need to be open to the gospel, open to what Jesus is doing as he's developing, as he's building his kingdom. So, in Matthew eleven twenty through 22, it says this. Then Jesus began to denounce. Denounce. You know, the definition of denounce, purely speaking, uh, it means to publicly declare to be wrong or evil. Okay? That's just a standard, you know, uh, dictionary definition. It's just... It means to publicly declare to be wrong or evil. It's to make a moral decision, but to exercise it you know, publicly. <laughs> it's, it's to shout it out. So Jesus, is, what he's doing here is not very politically correct. <laughs> denounce cities, denounce towns, not politically correct. But Jesus, what he does is righteous. And what he's doing here is, is he's shaking the rattle in the cage. He wants to get people's attention. So he begins to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles have been performed. That's a key premise right there. These towns in which Jesus performed many miracles. See, these miracles were to authenticate his messiahship. Here, remember what he told John? Look. That's what he's telling these towns. Look. This is not what the messiah does. Is this not the, who the messiah is? Here's the miracles. And these miracles weren't just little card tricks either. They were amazing, mind-blowing things. If we saw them today, we would just be shocked. Unbelievable things. M medical marvels. You know, dead people alive. I mean, some amazing, wonderful things that Jesus is doing there. And to see that, it's almost like having God. You know, you hear the joke, you know, I'll believe God if he pops his head through the clouds and shouts my name out. It's basically, it's like that. If, somebody were to, if God were to pop his head through the clouds and say, hey, what's up? Oh, there, and I believe in you. That's basically what he's talking about here. It's so obvious but yet you still don't change. You still don't repent. And that's what he says here. All these miracles being performed, but yet you still don't change. You still don't repent. Woe to you. And he starts naming out these different towns. Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, It'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. So we have these, 
And I think I have it in the next slide if you want to advance it. We're kind of running out of space here. Yeah, before we read the verse, it's just below that blue line. Chorzen, or Chorzen, or how you want to pronounce it, Bethsaida and Capernaum, which we'll mention here briefly, Capernaum. These, these are three towns near the Sea of Galilee, the northwestern shore. This is where Jesus, in his heart of his ministry, basically, this is where Jesus was, this is his base of operation. So basically, these three towns he's talking about, these are, people, these are towns that, were, that had the, the, the honor, that were privy to having Jesus ministering. This is where he hung out. This is where he slept. This is where he ate. This is where he walked up and down the streets. So, I mean, this is it. <laughs> these people saw Jesus at his fullest. But he's saying, woe to you, because you've seen, you had firsthand experienced me, but yet you still reject me. So again, this answers the question. If you did see Jesus right on, if God did pop his face to the cloud, and you're still going to reject him, and you say, oh, but if I do see that, I will, surely I will reject him, but surely you will, because he did that with Jesus. And these towns did reject him. Um, and again, here a little note, the second one says, the judgment was greater for these three towns because of the stubborn rejection. Stubborn rejection, that's what we're seeing here, of the Messiah, despite the evidence given miracles. So going on, reading Matthew eleven twenty three, he says, and you, Capernaum. And Capernaum is interesting to me because this is actually Jesus' hometown. When he, as an adult, this is where he lived, in Capernaum. This is where he had a home. You know, you'll be lifted up to heavens, or will you be lifted to heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Hades is the grave. You're, you're, you're going to die. Spiritually, you're dead. There's no longevity. And that's sad. But again, Jesus is not being politically correct here. We know that. But what he's doing is very urgent and very real. He's trying to rattle the cages and wake people up. Time to wake up. For if the miracles that are performed in you had been performed in Sodom, here's that word again. We mentioned Sodom more earlier. Now here's Sodom again, re-mentioned. If the miracles that are performed in you had been performed in Sodom, they would have remained to this day. Okay, remember the conversation that Jesus, that God had um, with, with, with Abraham or the angel who people believe is a theophany, you know, God or Christ. Now, he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes, but wait, if there's like even, and he goes down and down and down and down. So basically, if there's even 10 people in the whole town, gee, God said, I'll, I'll spare it. If there's just 10 people, I'll spare it. Wow, that's amazing. If they were to see these miracles that Jesus is performing, according to these scriptures, some would have been spared. But it didn't because of its great... And let's look at the kind of town Sodom was. Uh, there's more verses down here on the bottom. The infamous Sodom. That's, of course, I think when we think of Sodom, it's, it's infamous, you know. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Genesis 13, 13. That's the kind of place it was. It was wicked. So basically he's saying, listen, it's better off for this really wicked place Okay? I mean, you, 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 if you read the Genesis account in 13, you know, it, 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 they were, it was really hostile. Very hostile. And the wickedness, it grieved God, as it says here. Going on in Genesis 19, 13, the outcry to the Lord against his people was so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Again, but the, the, what's being implied here is if Jesus showed up and performed these miracles, they would have changed. They repented. You see it? This Capernaum, these towns who refused Jesus, in and amongst the radical evidence 
of these miracles being performed, you can see how much worse it has to be for, the, for this Capernaum and these other towns than it was for Sodom on the Day of Judgment. And the Day of Judgment is at the very bottom verse. He looked down towards Sodom. This is Abraham after the, the, the judgment. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. That's, that's, that's the judgment. Judgment came. And he's saying, there, in, in the Bible, both the Hebrews and Christians, you know, you know, you know both the Jews and the Christians alike, you know, believe that there's a day of judgment. That's, and, and, and most Christians believe that it's still yet to come. There is judgment on the cross, which is the judgment we can actually be privy to, which is a grace. Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross. And that's why he came, and that's why we're here preaching, saying, please take that judgment. <laughs> you want to take the cross judgment. You, don't, you want to put your sin on the cross and let Jesus take the punishment for you. You don't want to take the next judgment, the judgment yet to come. And that's the whole problem with Capernaum. They refuse the cross. They refuse Jesus. The last little note I didn't mention there was about Tyre and Sidon again. Uh, it, was, it's, 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 it, it was mentioned throughout the scriptures. They're kind of a threat. They're a pagan nation, pagan kingdom basically. And so they were foreigners, but yet they were kind of always there. Sometimes they were, there, they were quite helpful actually to King David and King Solomon, helping build the palace and the temple. They're quite helpful, but yet they were pagans. You know, they, 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 they weren't the Jews. They weren't the pure. You know, the ones, the God's chosen people. But yet this, these towns... We're, we're, we're Jewish towns. They're in Israel. They should be blessed. They should be blessed by God's people. But they won't because of refusal. That's the bottom line. Okay, next slide. Be different. So that's, that's, that's what we've come to. We don't want to be unrepentant. We don't want to be ungrateful. We want to be different. We want to know Christ. We want to confound the wise while being chosen. And I believe we're all chosen. You know why? Because you're all here today. <laughs> we're all here today for a reason. God called us and we listened, we heard, and we obeyed. Right? We're here. That's how I know we've been chosen. So Matthew 11, 25, 27 says this, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise. These things. What are these things? This is God's kingdom. These things. Him and his will. And his, you, here we see him mention his will here in a second. He's hidden these things. The gospel. A lot of people say the gospel was a bit of a mystery. But it was, it was revealed. Paul talked about that in Ephesians. It was, it was a mystery. But now it's revealed to us. You know, it's his plan. It's his will. And we have the, 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 the honor of being a part of this unfolding, these things that were once hidden, but now they're revealed. And he revealed them to little children. Dallas, Dallas Willard says, calls these the little faiths. That's his disciples. He calls his disciples the little faiths, our little children. You know, ye of little faith. You know, he, and the idea really is a simple trust. These wise, learned people, these intelligent people who have all these excellent reasons why they can't trust God. All these excellent reasons why they can't trust in Jesus Christ because he's just too simple. He's too simple. It's not a complicated enough solution for our problems. But yet, those who just, like, I think about children. Like, especially the wee ones that we've got, you know. And it's like, they'll go anywhere mom and dad go. And they don't stress out about how they're going to financially pull it off. How you know, this is the insurance, the travel, the tickets, the passports work. I mean, if we travel, they just they just okay. They don't they don't they don't have a restless night the night before. 
they just go to bed, they wake up, what's up? To them it's just another day. They just jump in the car and we go to the airport. We, Mom and dad are stressed out of the box, but, we, but we're adults. We figure things out. We, we, we're responsible. But the children don't have to worry about it. And that's the relationship. Just, okay, I'm just going to trust in you, God. I can think about it. I can stress myself out. But I'm just going to trust you like a child. Just totally going to trust in you. And they get the opportunity of, say, to put a parallel to this, my illustration, they get the honor of traveling. They get the honor of going out and exploring the world, so to speak. But more, because God wants to do amazing things in our lives, things that we're afraid to do, but he wants to trust me and let me just pull it off for you. Just be like a child, just go for the ride. <laughs> yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. It's in God's will that these disciples, these little faiths, get to participate in this amazing unfolding of God's kingdom before them. The reality, so-called wise people in the world will reject. That's kind of what I just said just a moment ago, isn't it? For the very intelligent reasons, very sophisticated reasons why they'll reject Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't fit into the world or into their lives. But Jesus is supreme. Going on. All things have been committed. The word committed indicates authority to judge. He's the boss. He's the Lord. It's been committed. God has committed. Here you go. This is, this, is your, this is your jurisdiction, basically. You are the authority over all things. <laughs> all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to whom the Son chose or chooses to reveal. So you want to know God. Many people want to know God. You, they call it different things. Utopia, nirvana, peace, rest, whatever they want to call it. You want to really know God? Real peace? You know, real joy? Real, you know, the real God? The creator God of the heavens and the earth? There's one way. And that one way is through Jesus Christ. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Perfect, intimate relationship that God and Jesus have. You want to know him? You need to go through Jesus. He's chosen us. We're here today. So we have opportunity to get to know God. But we have to know God through Jesus. Next slide, please. So Jesus is the Messiah. He is the answer. And he is everything. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 says this. Come to me. Oh, this is a beautiful... Beautiful three verses. I love ending on these three verses. Beautiful three verses. Come to me. Jesus is saying this. He's calling out to you guys. Come to me. All you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a contrast from judgment. That's why I like ending with this. Because it was quite a heavy-duty message today, all this judgment talk, right? Quite heavy-duty. What a contrast it is. He just says, come to me. Why would you want to refuse this invitation? Who in the, in the right mind would refuse this invitation? Judgment is horrible. But come to me. All you are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. And you will learn from me. I like that learning. That's where we get the word um, disciple. Daikasune. Disciple. Not daikasune. But disciple. <coughs> That's righteousness. Daikasune. That's where we get that idea of discipleship. is from learning a student. For I am gentle and humble in heart. He's easy to get along with. <laughs> he's, you know what I'm saying? You can come to him and he's gentle. He's not going to... What's wrong with you? You're dumb? Come on. You, you, in order to be righteous, you need to do all these really difficult things. No, he's gentle. 
He will take you where you are and he will teach you. He will give you what you need for where you are at this moment. And he's humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What amazing verses. I got four points in here I got from this that I really want to share with you guys. First of all, yoke. Yoke speaks of our walk through life. That's why I told the kids earlier today. Through life, we're going to always have difficult situations. Mostly, it's going to be about other people. <laughs> you know, going through conflicts, bullying, getting along with other people, all that stuff. But there's other things. There's health issues. There's financial issues. You know what I'm saying? Life is just tough. But here's the thing. Everybody who's alive has to live life. Does that make sense to you? So that means everybody has to deal with it. Everyone has to deal with it. The problems, the issues, the difficulties of life. That's what the yoke is. It's a burden. But we have an opportunity to share a yoke. That's why I had a picture of the yoke earlier. If you, saw, you see a yoke, it's actually meant for two. It's meant for two. So you would share it. It's not one pulling. It's not one traversing. It's two. So you share the load. And that's why I think he chose the word yoke. He wanted to paint a picture in our heads. That there's, maybe there's an empty space next to you. <laughs> and that's, imagine that. Imagine having a yoke with just one in the yoke, like one beast of burden, like an ox, and having an empty space. Uh, you guys ever had a wonky shopping trolley? That is the worst thing in the world. I can push it for two minutes, my back's already sore, because I'm old and feeble. But you're like, uh, you know, like counter, push it, you know. Imagine that. Imagine your whole life is a wonky shopping trolley. Well, for most people in our lives, it is. And that's horrible. Jesus says, let me fill that space. Let me unwonky your trolley. And let's walk straight. Nothing beats a brand new trolley where it just, ooh, slides. But life is tough. It is wonky like that. Without Christ, we must make sense of these things ourselves. There's no rest. And the world is harsh and it's hard. But as disciples of Christ, this is you and I, guys. It's the invitation. Come to me. As disciples of Christ, we get to walk with Jesus. We get to share a yoke with him because of his strength. You know, these beasts of burden, because of his mighty strength. Our walk is easy, and our burden will be lightened. But unfortunately, as we saw today through these verses, this woe to the ungrateful, woe to the unrepentant, unfortunately, many will stubbornly refuse Jesus because he will seem in their eyes too simple a solution to their problems. The American confounds the wise. Uh, yeah, come on, you don't really believe in him, do you? You're not one of those religious types of people, are you? Yeah. Don't you know that like Dawkins and Darwin, all those guys kind of proved him wrong? False. False. Jesus is more obvious than anything in the world. And he says, come to me. And I will help you. I will make your burdens of life light and easy. So it can be challenging. You still need to practice faith and trust. But he's there to help. He wants to help us. He wants to be there for us. Let's pray. Let's pray.